In 2010, there was uh, a national championship football game. We're talking about football on Mother's Day. I thought it would be good, you know, since mothers are so into football. But you'll get it after a while, okay? Uh, 2010, the national championship football game was between two teams that were undefeated, Texas and Alabama. One of the, young, one of the guys that played uh, on one of the teams, the quarterback for Texas, his name was Colt McCoy, um, had played four years in college. This was the culmination of all of his career. He, at that point in time, had the record for the most wins by any quarterback in the history of college football. He had, as quarterback, had led his team to 45 wins in the four years he'd been there. And he came to this time, which was to be the uh, epitome, the, 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 the end of all this, uh, of his career. And uh, something very disappointing happened. He was injured in the first quarter of the national championship game. He was hit, and he got an injury such that it caused his whole arm to go numb. And it's kind of hard for a quarterback to throw a ball when your arm is numb. And so the question is, is how do you deal with that? Well, this is the, let me show you the interview that came right after the game that day. What was it like for you to watch this game, your, your last game, the sideline? How do you respond like that? I mean, when God closes a door, seemingly, I may be you to say God didn't close that door, but at later on in the service, I'll, I'll let you see part of the interview that was done later on. How do you respond when things happen in your life in a negative way? And what does that do for you? Moms today and, and dads here as well and all of us. How do you respond when the, a door closes? Uh, do you know the frustration of a closed door? Um, no one's reading your resume. Uh, no one is uh, returning your call. Uh, the doctors don't have any uh, real good solutions to the medical problem you're going through. Uh, no one is looking for your house. You've been on the market for a long time. Or you can't find a house that you can afford in an area you want to live. I think all of us know the frustrations of closed doors. Uh, and, and if you do this morning, I want to let you know you have a friend. His, his name is the Apostle Paul. We've been going through the book of Acts now for several months and studying what God has to say to us through that. And I found that as I looked at this week's passage, that it's a per- perfect passage for this day, this time, for us to consider what, what we can learn from it. In Acts chapter 16, we read uh, about Paul's second missionary journey. Uh, he had been traveling with, he was traveling with two, two of his best friends, Silas and Timothy. And when they got on this second journey, they seemed to hit a closed door. Not only one closed door, but one closed door after another. Their, their first missionary journey that we talked about uh, a few weeks ago, it seemed to be totally an open door. Everywhere they went, everything seemed to be open. Uh, Acts chapter 14, verse 27 says, On arriving there, and then talking about this first missionary journey, on arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Everywhere they went, there was open doors. You ever been through a stage of life where you're, everything seems to be going well and all the doors are opening well and you're going like, man, I must be really in the center of God's will here. 
I mean, the door in Cyprus opened, the door in Antioch, the door in Iconium, places we don't know anything about. Even in Jerusalem, with the council we talked about last week, the door had been opened. In Acts chapter 16, verse 5 there, it says, So the churches were strengthened in faith and grew daily in numbers. I mean, everything seemed to be going in their direction. But as they began their second journey, the doors seemed to shut because we were in to read. And if you have your Bibles today, I would encourage you to open to Acts chapter 16. Uh, they, it says in after Acts chapter 16, verse 6 and 7, it says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and the Galatia, and having been kept by the Holy Spirit, they having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia, they came to the border of Mysia. And they tried to enter a place called Bithynia. Uh, it's hard to pronounce these names. But the whole, the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Now, that is an interesting comment. The Spirit of Jesus, it wasn't like circumstances stopped them. It says they thought it was, it was a door that was closed by God. See, Paul's vision was for Asia, that we now as we go and we, and we reach new people, we're to go in this direction, we're to go north. And... As he went there, everywhere they went, the door seemed to be closed and they couldn't gain entrance. Now, we're not told in practical terms what that means. We are not. I mean, how does the door, how does God close a door? You know, it's not a literal door. But how does he close the door? We don't know how that worked and they couldn't gain entrance. We're not told why either he did this. We're just simply told in scripture here that God was the initiator of this closed door. We just know that the Holy Spirit closed that door. Now, I want to tell you this. I believe this fully. God still operates that way. He opens and closes doors. And he does it for a reason. He holds the keys to all doors. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 7, it says this. It says, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, talking about God, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. And I found this to be true in life, that God many times closes doors in our life because he has a better door for us somewhere to go through. But sometimes in the process of going through and having a door closed and things not going the way we'd like for it to, it can become frustrating. True? Man, things aren't going our way and we're going like, you know, God, I'm thinking I'm in your will. But the problem is, is that how do I deal with these closed doors? I can tell you from a fact from many, many years of... Uh, my previous church I was at, I've been here at Great Oaks almost 10 years now, but previously before that I was in a church in Virginia for 13 years as a senior pastor. And as I went there, it was an older church, a, a very traditional church. And the problem when I went to that church was, and they said to me this, they said, we really want to reach our community for Christ. We realize we're dying as a church. And if we don't change, we will die. And I thought they meant that. And so gradually, over the first five years, I didn't make a lot of changes in the life of the church, but I just ministered to people, built relationships, and did it. I was very slow in the process. But then I began to realize that, God, we weren't fully following God's commandments. We weren't fully reaching our community for Christ. We weren't going into all the world to teach them all things, baptizing them. We weren't doing those things. We were basically not baptizing people. We weren't doing the things we need to do. So we began the process of asking ourselves from a leadership perspective, what is it that God wants us to do differently? Because what we're doing is not doing what God called us to do. And I went through a process with a group of leaders for over a year and a half of going through and examining Scripture and asking ourselves the question, what is it we should do? 
And we gathered together and we had this common vision there about we need to start doing these things to reach our community for Christ, to reach people. We started a second service. We started doing some things that were in a different way. And realizing, not changing the gospel, but just changing the way we presented the gospel in a way. And we started growing and reaching people. But boy, did that change cause conflict. And some doors closed. And I mean, I want to tell you that for, for seven years, I kept going, God, you know, this is your vision. It's from your word. How do we, how do, why is the doors closing here? And it took me a long time. I guess I'm stubborn. That's the problem. Uh, for, it took me a long time to realize that sometimes when God closes doors, he wants you to look at something else. He wants you to realize that there's some there's something else, another door somewhere else he wants you to open. And it eventually led me, after a whole number of years, that God was considering uh, us to pushing me to go and look somewhere else. I'm not sure, sure that's always the answer, but it was in this case. And it was very difficult because that was the community that we, I had grown up in. That was the community where my family was, where my mom and my dad are, are still. That was a community I'd always known, and I'd come there after seminary and spent actually eight years in, a, in one church as an associate pastor, another 13 years as the lead pastor in a church. And now it is God had closed this door here, and he was saying to us clearly, he was saying, you need to look somewhere else. And I never thought in a million years it'd be in Illinois. Never in a million years. Wasn't even on the radar. But God opened doors. And if he hadn't closed that door so firmly, I'd probably still be in there struggling, trying to make it work. See, when, when God closes doors, it can be very difficult. But I've learned this. It doesn't mean that when he closes the doors, he doesn't love us. Matter of fact, I believe he closes doors sometimes because he does love us. Because he has something different for us. That is exactly what Paul and his team encountered they had a vision for reaching people for christ but it wasn't to be in asia it was to be somewhere else it says they they, god blocked them from going north so they went south they tried to go south and god blocked them there and the only other two directions they had left were what east or west east meant going back home giving up and so it had to be west that was the only direction left and so they went west and 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 god called them to go God's obviously his plan was to take them to Europe to cross the Aegean Sea and to go to Greece and a place called Macedonia. And it says in Acts chapter 16, verse nine, it says this during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Man, I wish God would give us that vision more often. You know, Gordon kind of says, tells us exactly where he wants us to go. But he doesn't always do that. But here he did. And it says this in verse 10, after Paul had seen the vision we got we and always remember this one here it's not just paul it's we we got ready at once to leave from macedonia concluding that god had called us to preach the gospel to them from troas we put out to sea and sailed straight for samothrace and the next day we went on to neapolis from there we traveled to philippi the word sailed straight in greek basically means this they felt the wind at their back it was like man we're going in the right direction god's pushing us forward you ever been there a place in the life where you really felt like, man, I, this is, everything's going the way it is and God's pushing us in this direction? 
See, they'd felt resistance all along in this journey, but now all of a sudden they realized that this was the direction that God had for their lives and was going in that direction. And then in verse 13 it says, When they got there, on the Sabbath we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. Now look who they talked to. The people they go to in Europe, the first group they go to is a group of ladies, probably mothers. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Then when she and the members of her house were baptized, it says, this is the question. God had a plan, a purpose here. He sent them in a direction differently because this is the first recorded person in all of Europe to be converted to Christianity. Now, Lydia, being not only a mother, but being a person who was sounds like a business lady as well, was a person who, as we see later on, what happens to her, she actually asked them to come, and her house becomes the center of the first church in that region. And things seem to be going well, and, 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 and they finally understand, oh, that's why you got us to go this way, God. You close this door. So this will happen. Now, sometimes that happens, right? When God closes a door, all of a sudden we may realize this is why he did it. But don't get too cocky too quick. Because we think that when we're in the center of God, I've heard this really dumb phrase before, and you probably heard it before too. The safest place in the world is to be where? In the center of God's will. Not. The best place to be is in the center of God's will. But it's not always the safest place to be because they're going in this direction. They're planting people. They have a purpose here. Lydia becomes the first convert and many people come to Christ and they're doing that. And as they're traveling around, though, we continue to read through chapter chapter 16 that what happened was is even though they were going in God's direction, we, we come to verse verse 16. <clears throat> And we begin, I'm not going to read all that this morning, but verse 16 and following tells that they got to a certain place. And because of some stuff that happened there, what happened is Paul and Silas were thrown into prison. Not because they broke the law, but because they upset some people's apple carts. Some people didn't like what they were doing. And so this time it seems that literally God closes a door. And it was called a prison door. Paul and Silas get thrown into prison. You know, and if I'd have been Paul and Silas, they'd gone through all these disappointments early on. If we read the whole thing in context, understand that. It had been a lot of disappointments. They finally get on track here. And then all of a sudden they're going, you know, this is God wants me to do this. And what do they do? They get thrown into prison. If you'd have been Paul and Silas, what would have been your attitude? Just be honest. Here we go again. Another closed door. But then... We hear the most unlikely of sounds coming from prison. In verse 25, it says that we hear singing and prayers. In the midst of their, instead of, instead of getting grumpy and saying, blaming God for all the things that were going on in their life, the thing is that it happened here, we see this more than anything, the thing that was happening is they kind of, they deepened their relationship with God. We can do one of two things when things don't go our way. We can blame God or we can go deeper with God. That's our choices.
And we hear them singing and praying, and, and you can read the whole thing there. You know, how, how could they do that in that situation? The reason they could do it is because of this. They firmly believe that what God does is always right. And they trusted in God. You know, I'm amazed when I read stuff nowadays when people have faith in God and trust in God. This week I encountered two different ladies in our church, both going through cancer, both going through difficult times. One of them is an older lady who her family keeps going to like, how can she be that? Is she just kind of like in denial? Or is she in trust? And I believe she has deep trust in God. I've seen that over and over again. And then another lady in our church actually writes a blog. She discovered she had breast cancer. She was part of the walk. Anybody in Race for the Cure yesterday? Anybody here? Yeah, my wife was part of that. Many people were. The thing about that is that, you know, we're, we're in a region where that's a really big deal. And I'm glad it is. But thousands and thousands and thousands of people were involved in that yesterday. But I got permission to use some quotes from Susie Brown's blog. Susie Brown is someone that goes to our church here. I don't know if she's in this service or if she's going to be in the next service. But Susie and her her husband, Rob, have gone through a journey over the last months. And I asked myself, how can these mothers who are going through life, how can they have the attitude they have in the midst of the trials and the doors being closed? Because I'm sure both of them, I know both of them have prayed for healing. And they've had many people pray for their healing. And it's not happened. So how do you do this? Well, Susie is a great writer. You know, she really is. I told her that last night when I talked to her on the phone. And and one 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 of her blog titles is called Privileged. This is a person who is going through through a really rough time with cancer. She says this, Since I was a young child, I have prayed daily that I would grow to love God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the first sentence. Remember that one. As a teenager, I prayed daily, in addition to my childhood prayer, that my boyfriend, who is now my husband, would love me at least half as much as I loved him. I thought that was kind of interesting. (laughs) As an adult, every time my husband and I fought, I prayed that God would help me see things Help him see things my way. (laughs) I finally stopped praying this prayer because God never failed to make me see things through my husband's eyes. Now, as a middle-aged adult, I try to pray to God. I try to pray God's will both for my loved ones and myself. I don't pretend anymore to know what's best for anyone. Only God does. I just try to surrender to his will and put myself and my loved ones in his care. I wish I would have caught on to this early, in my earlier years. Instead of asking God for my will, for what I thought was best, I wish I could have just prayed for his will. In the past, he didn't always answer my prayers in the way I hoped. For instance, I would have liked for my dad to have been healed from cancer from this side of heaven. When he fell and became brain injured, I would have loved for God to share, uh, to spare him relearning the basics of life and having to grieve the death of his parents all over again because he didn't remember that they were no longer living. When my dad began to recover from his head injury, I thought God would surely spare him from cancer, but he didn't. As my children have grown, I've often asked God to spare them suffering. Sometimes my prayers were answered accordingly, but sometimes I think God had a different answer. 
It might not have been what I'd hoped for, but only God has the whole picture. Sometimes I believe suffering grows the human heart and we reap other blessings tenfold because we have suffered. As I go to pray for the cure tonight, I will be praying with all of my heart. I believe this is within God's will. I also know that my life is much deeper because God has blessed me with suffering. Now, moms, you can do all kind of cool things for your kids. But the greatest thing you can do, I really believe, and dads, is that when you come and encounter closed doors in your life, how you deal with those will teach your children more than anything else that they need to know in life. You can be a positive witness. You can trust God. You can go through it. Or you can be a negative witness and blame God because we will all have closed doors in our lives. Have you ever prayed later after the fact for something you prayed for earlier and said, God, thank you for not answering that prayer because you knew how dumb it was or how selfish it was at the time? I have. See, sometimes when God closes a door, we understand, and sometimes we don't. But I believe this fully, that when God closes a door, there is a reason, even when we don't see it. Sometimes God closes the door of the jail because he has his eye on the jailer. In Acts chapter 16, uh, we read later on, it says, uh, it says uh, that, Suddenly there was a, in verse 26, suddenly there was a, such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prisons were shaken and all at once the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. And the jailer who was holding uh, the jailer over Paul and Silas woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought, because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and asked them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. And then he goes on to say that his whole house became believers that day. God closed one door, which was that little prison door, and placed Paul and Silas there for a purpose. And they understood that. They didn't know what it was going to be when they were praying and when they were singing hymns. It hadn't happened yet. The reason for being there hadn't happened yet. But they trusted God enough to believe that something was going to happen that would show his glory. And it did. See, God closes doors and opens others so that we can reach out to another person. See, that's what our father does. His priority is not mine or your comfort. His priority is people. The salvation of souls. And he will close the door to redirect you so you can interact with someone. He will open a door and transfer you across the country so you will have an opportunity to bear witness to his goodness somewhere else. His priority is not your comfort or my comfort. His priority is people. I told you earlier that that little video from Colt McCoy 
uh, was just an intro. And I, I was more intrigued by that story. And I'm wondering, you know, how do you deal with that? How does this young 22-year-old kid learn this? And what, how, what, is, what does he say? Well, Max Licato at his church a couple of years ago interviewed him. And I actually had a little video. And I was able to get a copy of that. So I want you to listen to what this young guy says and listen to how he responds to the closed doors in his life. Max, thank you so much for letting me be a part of your lesson today. Obviously, during the game, with the shoulder injury, it was a huge disappointment. Uh, something that I've worked for my entire life, my whole career, uh, was to be able to play the national championship game and uh, you know, lead my team to a victory. Uh, that, that was something that, that I had, had dreamed about my whole life. And uh, when that was taken away, You notice, too, he mentioned his mom, an influence on in his life that was incredible, obviously. And I wonder what he would have done if he hadn't had an influence from a godly mom and a godly dad as well. Paul in Acts 16 gives us three practical things to do when you're standing, you're in a season of blocked doors. And I'm going to give you these three as we close this morning, these really three quick things. And I see these throughout Paul's ministry. It's not just in one verse here, one verse there, but it's something that he and Silas and all the early uh, leaders in the church uh, realized that they needed to do. Number one is get good counsel. When you're going through a season of blocked doors, get good counsel. In verse 10, it was it mentioned, and I pointed this out, that it's always we. Paul never traveled alone. He was somebody who was not just a lone ranger. He was somebody who had other people around him. Silas and Timothy and others. And we understand Luke was there too because as, as he was writing this, it says we. It, it, it was, he understood the value of being connected with people. One of the sad things that happens in our lives is when we go through troubles, our first thing is to pull ourselves into a hole and kind of get away from people. The worst thing you can possibly do. Get good counsel. Number two, stay connected with God. Stay connected with God. And when you're going through a tough time, you know, when we go through seasons of closed doors, we are sitting ducks for the devil. We really are. We do dumb things when we're down, when things aren't going well. We get angry at God instead of going deeper with God. Paul and Silas became even more focused on God and in prison. They said, you know, okay, this is not exactly what we would like, but we're going to focus and we're going to praise and we're going to connect ourselves with God as much as we possibly can in this environment. They were in stocks and shackles, and here they are. They're praising God. They're singing hymns. They're doing, they're, they're singing those things because they knew that that was important. They took the next right step with God. It wasn't based on their feelings. You know, the Bible says that how we approach God is keep asking, keep looking, keep knocking. So stay connected with God. And number three, defer to God's better plan. It's not that your plan is bad. Well, maybe it is. I don't know. It's just that God's plan is always better. God's plan is always better. You know, it wasn't a bad plan that Paul had to go to Asia, right? I mean, people in Asia needed the gospel as well. It's just that God's plan and God's timing was well, that's not the time. We're going to Europe. We're going in this direction. God always has a better plan for our lives. Defer to God's 
plan. You know, the thing that drives me crazy so often is with Christians, and, and especially people, and let's just, let me just be honest with people like us. Maybe I'm not like you. I don't know. But the issue is, is that when we're leadership type people and we're, and we're smart, we think we have a great plan and we start planning and asking God to bless our plans. No, what we need to do is say, God, what is your plan? Defer to your plan, God. I love Isaiah 55, 8, which says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. See, it's not that our plans are always bad, it's just that God's plans are better because God has a bigger perspective. He sees all things. So I would encourage you this morning to realize this. Just because one door is closing or one door is closed does not mean that God does not love you. Because I believe many times, really all the time, it's proof that he does. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.